Today on Blue 58, football waits for no man. And even if you're still basking in the afterglow of the Packers' Week 1 win, Week 2 is bearing down on us. Can the Packers take their show on the road for a second consecutive win to open 2023? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for week number two. Was thinking about this game, which I suppose is a really nice thing to do as you're preparing to do a preview on it, but was thinking about how this game kind of represents, in a really clear way, a new era of Packers football. I try to sit down and watch at least the condensed game of whoever the Packers are playing, uh, whoever, whatever they did the previous week. So this week I sat down and watched the Atlanta Falcons play the Carolina Panthers. And looking at the Falcons, they look like a team that the Packers of the previous era wouldn't even really think about. So your 2020 2021 Packers, the so far high watermark of the Matt LaFleur era. This is a team that those kind of Packers team wouldn't have even thought twice about. This team is not good in kind of a really specific way. They're not designed to roll up a ton of points. They're designed to play efficient, low possession football, basically, like low number of possessions. They want to run the ball, hang on to the ball, basically kind of old school football, not designed to score a whole lot of points. And the Packers of that era, 2020, 2021, MVP Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, you know the drill. That era of the Packers would just score enough points to take these Falcons out of their game plan, and that would be it. You talk about, well, Robert Sala of the New York Jets and Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions have both used an expression that I think would really apply there. He, both of them talking, talked, I guess in in specific reference to the Packers, talked about dragging the Packers out to deep water and seeing if they can swim. That's how you beat a team like the Atlanta Falcons. A young quarterback, running game oriented, you haul them out, say, this is how the big boys play. We score a bunch of points. Can you score a bunch of points? And when they can't, you break that kind of team pretty easily. It's kind of like putting them, just pounding them into submission, making them play a way that they don't want to play. It's like how a fire can burn up all the oxygen in a room and burn itself out. You just burn the game out because you're up 20 to 6 at halftime and they're just not built to go punch for punch with you. That could still be the case. But we don't know that it's the case in the same way, at least not yet. And part of that is we just don't really know who or what the Packers are yet. And I think that we're going to be in that situation for a while. Even based on week one, what would you really say the Packers' identity is? And I don't think this is a slight against the Packers. It's just that I'm not sure the Bears are really going to help anybody figure out what kind of team they are this year. They are not really a measuring stick sort of team. The Falcons might be, though, because the Falcons come in after a similar kind of game, one where they probably didn't learn all that much about themselves. They handled the Panthers pretty easily in week one. But I get the sense, watching the Panthers, seeing what they're all about this year, a lot of people are probably going to handle the Panthers this year. 
I think we can say that the Falcons are different from last year, though. They finished 7-10 and 10 last year, won their last two. They were 4-4 four and four at midseason. That means if my math is correct, there was a 1-6 stretch in there at some point. It wasn't great near the middle portion of the season. Most of their season was piloted by Marcus Mariota. Their 2022, before their 2022 third-round pick, Desmond Ritter, took over. He started four games. Falcons went 2-2 two and two in those four starts. Now in come the Falcons, fully transitioned to the Desmond Ritter era. What sort of team are they going to be? If you're trying to answer what sort of team the Falcons are, it really helps to look at where their coaches have been. That's usually true in a broad sense for just about everybody in the NFL, but I think that's especially true for the Atlanta Falcons. On offense, the Falcons are an Arthur Smith and Dave Ragone joint production. Finishing out the Play Callers um, podcast series today, Amina Kimes of ESPN mentioned Arthur Smith as somebody that's from the Shanahan tree by virtue of his connection to Matt LaFleur. He did work with Matt LaFleur with the Tennessee Titans around 2018, that is true. And he may have some influence from the the Lafleur, McVay, Shanahan tree in there. But I think if you look deeper into Arthur Smith's coaching history, you get a much better idea of the sort of player that he, or the sort of coach that he really is. He did some low-level assistant stuff around 2006 to 2010 or so, uh, coached with the, the Washington Redskins in 2007, 2008 as a quality control assistant, got his real big break in the NFL when he jumped to the Tennessee Titans in 2011. First, he was a defensive quality control coach, then an offensive quality control coach, bumped up to a combo offensive line and tight ends coach, was an assistant tight ends coach after that, then tight ends for three years, then was an offensive coordinator after Matt LaFleur left uh, following the 2018 season, then took over as the Atlanta Falcons head coach in 2021. Smith coached under four different head coaches in Tennessee. Mike Munchak, Ken Wisenhunt, Mike Malarkey, and Mike Vrabel. And I think if you look at the first and last head coach that he coached with in Tennessee, you get a lot better gauge of who he is as an offensive head coach than just say, well, he's got some Matt LaFleur connections. Specifically, Mike Munchak. If you look at what the Atlanta Falcons are trying to do now, they want to be a power-running team, really an old-school, like, 12 personnel, 21 personnel kind of power running team. And I think Mike Munchak actually explains that better than any like Shanahan tree connections because of how Munchak wanted to coach when he first got to Tennessee and when Arthur Smith got his break in with the Tennessee Titans. Mike Munchak wanted to run a system that he described as exotic smash, smash mouth football. And I think that actually describes the Atlanta Falcons pretty well. That's what they want to do. They want to have a run-oriented offense, go through their two big, powerful backs, and they'll go from there. We'll talk about those two backs here in a second. But the second part of the Falcons' offensive tree here is Dave Ragone. Ragone is a more traditional uh, offensive coach than uh, Smith is. If you look at his coaching tree, he started with the, or his coaching pedigree, he started in the UFL uh, as the quarterback's coach for the Hartford Colonials. Then he arrived with the Tennessee Titans the same time as Arthur Smith did in 2011, was their wide receivers coach for two years, then switched over to coaching quarterbacks for 2013. In 2015, he jumped over to the Washington Redskins, where he was their offensive quality control coach. 
Then in 2016, he moved to Chicago, where he was the Bears quarterbacks coach for four years, then was their passing game coordinator, moving over to Atlanta to become their offensive coordinator when Arthur Smith got the head coaching job there. So all that to say, I think that it's a lot more accurate to tie Smith back to his roots in the the Munchak system than with his brief dalliances in the Lafleur type stuff. To the extent that anybody runs that now, I think we've, we're past the point in the NFL that you really have to, to say, well, he coached with this guy who coached with Shanahan here, and that's why he's going to run you know, the outside zone, uh, play action, bootleg type offensive scheme. It's just part of the furniture now in the NFL. This is just what everybody runs to, to a certain extent. These plays just exist here. This is just how offense is in the NFL. And if you're not playing some version of this, you're probably behind the times. The quarterback in Atlanta is Desmond Ritter, a good athlete, big athlete. As of right now, it looks like he's probably not going to be the sole reason you win games, but it looks like he can make some plays too. In week one, pretty uninspiring performance, though the accuracy, at least from a, a box score perspective, was there. 15 of 18 for 115 yards and a touchdown in week one. At the very least, we could say fairly efficient there. Nine of his 18 passing attempts went to running backs, which is important for reasons we will talk about here in a second. The offensive line graded out pretty well in week one. They were the 13th best run-blocking team in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus in week one, so that incorporates more than just the offensive line. But as a group, uh, this team seems to run block pretty well. They seem as a whole to be better run blockers than pass blockers. I think it's pretty hard to identify a weak spot at this point, though if I had to pick one, it would be left guard Matthew Bergeron, by far the least experienced of their linemen. He has played a grand total of one NFL game. He is a rookie second-round pick. So if you're looking for a weak spot up front, that may be it for the Atlanta Falcons. In the passing game, I said this would be interesting because if you've been paying attention to what they do, what they've done in the NFL draft until this year, you would think that the Falcons were trying to put together a really high-powered passing offense because in 2021, they spent the fourth overall pick on athletic Marvel tight end Kyle Pitts. Then they drafted big athletic wide receiver Drake, Drake London in 2022 with the eighth overall pick, both big, athletic, interesting prospects. Kyle Pitts might be the one of the two most athletic tight ends that I've seen, along with Vernon Davis in my time watching and covering the NFL. But together, London and Pitts co- combined for four targets and two catches in week one. Both of the catches came from Kyle Pitts. Be aware of these guys for sure, because they... Both seem like pretty good players, good matchup prospects, if nothing else. But I'm not sure what the Falcons are going to do with either one of them. Still, it is worth your time to be aware of them. In the running game, bring your hard hat this week because we're going to find out if the Packers can stop the run. Because the Falcons are going to try to run it, and they've got two big, strong backs to do it with. The first is Tyler Algier who ran for just over 1,000 yards last year on 210 carries, averaged 4.9 yards per carry, 6 feet tall, 220 pounds, a big, strong back. Noteworthy enough by himself. But then you add 2023 eighth overall pick B. John Robinson to the mix, one of the most fun players to watch, I think, in the 2023 draft. Some people thought he was the best player in the entire draft. I don't really know how you measure that, but he was pretty darn good in college. 
Suffice it to say, though, the Falcons have the pieces in place to carve you up on the ground. So how do the Packers stop it? Much like we said in the intro, you kind of have to play offense-defense in this kind of game. Play defense with your offense. Take control of the game and make the Falcons play how you want to play versus how they want to play. More simply, you might just want to focus on getting them into third and down, or third and long, or just get them to third down, period. In week one, against the admittedly unexciting Carolina Panthers, the Falcons went a whopping two of ten on third downs. On six of their ten third downs, they gained zero yards or lost yards. And on another one of their third downs, they gained 17 yards, which is great, but they needed 22 yards, so those 17 yards are basically fake. You gained 17 yards and you still came up five yards short. That you almost made it to fourth and long. You end up in a fourth and medium after getting 17 yards on third down. Not a tremendous performance there. Just as an aside here, I would prefer if the Atlanta Falcons were not able to do anything with Scotty Miller in this game. Came over from Tampa, uh, now plays for the Falcons. We just don't need any throwback performances. On top of everything else, just make sure Scotty Miller doesn't do anything interesting. On defense, we've got defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen running the show for the Falcons. Age 44, first year that he has been a solo defensive coordinator. This is the first year that he has worked for the uh, Atlanta Falcons as well. He spent the entirety of his NFL career prior to this season with the New Orleans Saints, did a bunch of college-level stuff prior to that. Uh, But in six years with the New Orleans Saints, he first coached the defensive line, then was an assistant head coach, uh, along with coaching the defensive line in 2021, then was the co-defensive coordinator in 2022 before he gets the entire defensive coordinator gig for the Atlanta Falcons. Comes from the Dennis Allen sort of defensive scheme tree, uh, basically a 4-3 base, pretty aggressive sort of guy. Hard to say, tendency-wise, what we're really going to see at this point, though. We can say that Atlanta has spent heavily on defense recently. This spring, they signed safety Jesse Bates from Cincinnati. They signed defensive tackle David Onyemata from New Orleans. They also brought over linebacker Caden Ellis from New Orleans. Then they signed defensive lineman Calais Campbell from Baltimore. I wanted him in Green Bay, but he goes to Atlanta instead. Not clear if the Packers were ever really interested. Anyway, if you're looking for guys to pay attention to, Jesse Bates is a pretty good one to start with in the secondary. Long-time solid player for the Bengals. Had an interception in Week 1. On the defensive line, Grady Jarrett is never a bad idea to keep an eye on for the Falcons. Trench warrior for them for a long time in his ninth NFL season. Hasn't missed a game since 2018. Basically like a super-duper-powered Mike Daniels, 6 feet tall, 305 pounds. He will get after you if you let him. In terms of where the Packers attack the Falcons, if they could, I would love it if they started with the run again and really stuck with the run until the Falcons prove they can stop it and then sprinkle in a little bit of Jordan Love from there. Betting on Jordan Love to play well on the road two weeks in a row to start a season seems like a big ask. So why not start with uh, chipping away on the ground if you can? Unfortunately, with Aaron Jones still battling a hamstring injury, that may be easier said than done. Uh, but if the Packers are willing to sprinkle in some different backs along with A.J. Dillon and use A.J. Dillon in a way that makes a little bit more sense for his skill set, I think that's a pretty good start from there. I think the Packers may have to focus on attacking with uh, Luke Musgrave a little bit more this week, kind of eased him into the game plan last week. 
Let's see a little bit more of what he can do this week. I would love to to get him maybe in the five to six catch range uh, as the Packers attack the short to medium game of the Atlanta Falcons. On special teams, uh, kicker Youngway Koo, very solid kicker for the Atlanta Falcons, over 90% cumulatively for the last three years, including 19 of 24 on field goal attempts beyond 50 yards, 96 of 101 on extra points in that same span as well. Their punter is Bradley Pinion, averaged 45.9 yards per punt last year, also handles kickoff duties for the Falcons. Scotty Miller returned one punt for the Falcons last week, as did D. Alford. Neither one of those guys is super experienced. In fact, after both of them returned one punt in week one, both of them have a grand total of one career punt return each. The Falcons also did not return a kickoff in week one, just how that game worked out. Anytime the ball was kicked off, uh, it resulted in a touchback. They did not attempt to return a single kickoff in week one. The Packers last saw the Falcons on Monday Night Football in 2020. Big-time COVID game. Falcons had a bunch of guys missing that week. The Packers were going to win that game regardless, but they really handled that game with nobody out there for the Falcons. 130-16, Robert Tunyon scored three touchdowns for the Packers. Josiah DeGuara tore his ACL in that game. Uh, Big Big day for receivers far down the depth chart. Darius Shepard, Malik Taylor, and Tyler Irvin combined for four catches for 49 yards. And on defense, Zadarius Smith had three sacks for the Packers as he ate up the hapless Atlanta Falcons. The Packers cruised to a Monday night football victory with no real issues. How do the Packers win this game? As we've said a few times now, I think it comes down to really dictating how this game is going to go. If the Falcons are able to kind of imprint their identity onto this game, the Packers may have a fairly long day at the office here. But if the Packers are able to say, no, this is how we're going to play, we're going to be in charge here, and you're able to take the Falcons out of their their game plan, you might really have something. So how do you do that? Well, score early for one thing. Put pressure on them to continue to produce. And then as much as you can, play mistake-free football. Of all the other things that he did well in Week 1, I think that's really the best thing that Jordan Love did. Really avoid the big, obvious, back-breaking sort of mistake. Even on the play where he fumbled, he was able to turn that into a situation where, well, things worked out pretty well for the Packers. And, uh, again, was able to just avoid the big mistake. So who's going to win then? Are the Packers going to win, or will the Atlanta Falcons be able to sort of put their spin on this game and make things tough for the Packers? I think the Packers seem to have more ways to force the Falcons to do what they want to do than the Falcons can do to them. If the Falcons are able to run the ball and stay on schedule and convert on third downs and this, that, and the other thing, then they've got a real chance to make things difficult for the Packers. But I just don't see, based on week one, a lot of situations where the Falcons are going to be able to do that consistently. How are you going to make sure that you are consistently forcing the Packers to respond to you when you have to essentially just run the ball well enough to keep the game close for the entire game? That is a really big ask in the modern NFL, especially when the Packers have shown that they can move the ball pretty consistently. Now, moving the ball consistently against the Chicago Bears is one thing. Moving the ball consistently on the road against any other NFL team 
is a horse of a different color. But I think if we're looking for measuring stick sort of things, if the Packers can do that on the road again, we will have learned something about the Packers and we'll have learned something pretty, pretty solid. Uh, traveling as an offense is significant. I mean, you can talk about analytics, advanced stats, everything like that. It's not an advanced sort of thing to just be able to be the same sort of team you are wherever you're playing and against whoever you're playing. If you don't get forced out of your identity, regardless of your opponent, you are probably a good football team. At the very least, you're a well-coached football team, which is just as good as being a good football team in a lot of cases. I think for all the foibles of the Detroit Lions last year, they were coached to be a certain kind of way. And being that way all the time, consistently, can in some ways be enough to win you some games. It sure was against the Packers. If the Packers can have that kind of identity, and I'm not saying just being the same as the Detroit Lions or whoever, but if they can be who they intend to be, week in and week out, home, road, you will probably steal some games just because most teams, especially most mid to poor teams, are not able to consistently play to the identity that they're hoping to be. They get out over their skis. They get caught up in bad trends. They make big mistakes. They can't embody their own identity. And if you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time winning consistently in the NFL. This is especially concerning for the Packers this week, or especially something to watch this week, because the Packers are going to be, more than likely it looks like, without Aaron Jones and Christian Watson again. The Packers' offense can really only be so resilient. But if they can continue to be resilient, continue to stick with their identity, continue to do the things that they want to do, even when Aaron Jones and Christian Watson are not out there on the field with them, that is going to say a lot about the rest of this Packers team. And as the Packers continue to grow over the course of this season, they're only going to be that much better once Jones and Watson are back and fully integrated again. Finally, run defense worked pretty well in week one. Can they do that again? You've got two big, talented backs. One guy who may have been the the best player in the entire 2023 draft class if you can slow those guys down, either by scheme or by effort or by just taking them out of the game with your own offense, that I think is a, a, a real big vote of confidence for your 2023 Green Bay Packers. In any case, I think we are going to learn something about the Green Bay Packers this week. We can't say that so much about last week, but I don't think that's going to be <laughs> something that happens to a lot of people when they play the Chicago Bears, just because I don't think the Bears are in in a situation this year to really impose who they are on pretty much anybody they play. We'll see if we end up learning anything about the Green Bay Packers this weekend. I hope we do, and I hope it's it's another really good lesson about who these 2023 Green Bay Packers are going to shape up to be. I'll leave you with this. We talked about after week one how important it is to stack these wins early in the season. If the Packers manage to move to 2-0 and this week, think how much easier that makes the rest of the season. If you operate on the assumption that the Packers have to get to nine wins at least to be a playoff team, well, 
two wins in your first two weeks means that you only have to go seven and eight the rest of the way to still get to nine wins. The Packers could be worse than 500 the rest of the season if they win this week and still get to nine wins. That's a pretty good place to be in. And if they would do something like get to 3-0, and then things start to look really good toward that back half to back quarter of the season. That is putting the cart a little bit ahead of the horse, but not too far. It's never too early to start investing in your kind of playoff nest egg. And if you can store up a few of those wins early in the season, especially if you're going on the road, it can only help you in the long run. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.